I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Music of All India Radio, which features my guest today on the program, Martin Kennedy. Let me tell you a little bit about All India Radio and Martin Kennedy. All right, so here's the thing. All India Radio's music is complex, and it's made journalists run out of words trying to describe it. In fact, I was researching the band for this podcast, and every review of every record they've ever made uses the word atmospheric to describe their sound. Now, that's not entirely unfair. The music of All India Radio is atmospheric, but to just label it atmospheric is to say that, like, I don't know, LeBron James is tall or that pizza is a food. It's a little lazy. Not inaccurate, but a little lazy. And I'm bringing this up because, you know, to describe All India Radio's music in just one or two words is to kind of miss the boat. Here's my attempt to not miss the boat. All India Radio's music is a textured blend of hypnotic soundscapes that sound like the theme music of dreams you haven't even had yet. A mesmeric mix of trip-hop, post-rock, ambient, and dub, All India Radio's sound is augmented by the use of vintage synths, spectral vocals, and otherworldly down-tempo grooves. It's dark, it's dreamy, and it sounds like it was beamed down from another planet. Since their inception in 1999, this ARIA-nominated Melbourne outfit have collaborated with Steve Kilby from The Church. They've had their music played on everything from CSI Miami to One Tree Hill. And they're set to play their first live gig in almost 10 years in February of 2020. The band's brain trust, Martin Kennedy, is a real studio wizard. In fact, the former leader of the indie rock band Prey TV, Kennedy has become a bona fide sonic architect. And his imagination and innovation make All India Radio one of the most appealing bands out there. Their new album, Eternal, is positively staggering, and it might very well be their best work yet. It's bold, it's creative, and its graceful blend of dreamy left turns and wild swings to the heavens make it one of the most compelling albums of the year. Oh, and did I mention it's atmospheric? Well, I didn't need to. Everybody else does. All right. Here's my chat with Martin Kennedy. He's an amazing guy. He's so cool. You're going to love him. Martin Kennedy and me having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. There's a, I don't know if they do this in Australia, but we have drinking games uh, where if you're watching something and every time the the host of a show or something says a certain word, you take a drink. You've heard of these kinds of things? Oh, yes. Australia is big on those. Maybe not in my later years, but there was always something going on when I was younger. <laughs> okay, so here here's my All India Radio drinking game I made up. You want to hear it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Every time you read a review that somebody has written about your band, 
Every time they use the word atmospheric, you have to take a drink. <laughs> I think you'd be very drunk by now. <laughs> well, you know what? I I am guilty of that myself. I I read uh, reviews I wrote of the last two records, and I kept using atmospheric. And I'm like, boy, I, I couldn't find another word. <laughs> well, I, I, I have the same problem. When someone asks me how to describe my music, I, I am... I, I'm at a complete loss. Um, so that is one of the words I go to as well. Uh, but it, it probably means different things to different people. So yeah. it, I suppose it's, yeah, well, anyway, it, it's a it's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that. It's, um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of your work and, and I'm, I'm just having to Thank laugh, you. but I mean, Thanks. your work is, is really complex and really um, rich. And I want to say atmospheric. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll accept that. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I, I'm really curious to know. I mean, I know it's early over there. We're getting right into it. But you, you really are a, a kind of sonic architect. And I'm wondering when you are putting these things together, how it shows up in your head and how you translate such texture, you know, into the re- from, from the from the imaginary world into the real world. Oh, wow. You, you're you're after the secret source now, um, and I, I mean, I I I wonder how that happens myself. Um, sometimes when I deliberately plan an album and I write things down and I've got number one, two, three, four things to do, uh, the album it ends up a piece of crap. Um, but the 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 best way I work is uh, this is really in general terms is I'll spend months just absorbing a whole lot of music listening and I'll go through buying sprees I'll buy vinyl you know and it could be prog rock or atmospheric music um, uh, ambient whatever I just buy all this stuff and I absorb it and then I'm kind of I feel like I'm ready to do something on my own and I, I try not to plan an album out too much these days apart from just a little a little hook or a little tune that I've got stuck in my head and then I can build it from there um, and actually this last album the whole well, there was a plan having said that I don't like to plan there was kind of a plan um, in that I didn't want to I wanted to do it quick and dirty and get it out there um, without thinking about it too much so yeah, look, secret source. Uh, just the ideas just came tumbling out, and I don't know any other way to explain it. Do you feel that you are closer and closer to apprehending what it is that you hear in your head constantly? In other words, does all India Radio? Are you getting? Are you refining every time you make an album the thing that you're chasing after? Or you've been chasing after all these years. Yeah, I think I am actually. I think I am, but. But for a long time, I didn't really know what that was. Um, and the last three albums, I think, I, I am refining. I'm, I am refining it. Um, I still can't really put words into it. But it's like my ideal album is something that draws from Pink Floyd. It draws from Brian Eno. And it also draws from little bits and pieces that I've picked up along the way, like, um, you know, even, even elements of lo-fi hip-hop or like a cool hip-hop beat. Um, and it, I mean, that, that's kind of, you, you, might, you might hear that and think, oh, that doesn't really suit his music, but um, I kind of want to make it work. Um, and I draw a lot from the work of DJ Shadow, well, his early 90s work, I guess, um, that album Introducing, which is all oh yeah, atmospheric beats, there's that word again, um, <laughs> and, and ambient sounds and samples and instrumental mostly, and just really mesmerising stuff. And I always try to go for that mood. You know, I don't have, even if I'm not, making music that's exactly the same as as these influences it's it's the mood and the vibe that i'm going for oh i don't know if that made any sense but <laughs> it does yeah. it does and and so basically what you're saying is is that for all india radio really i mean anything can go into the stew 
Yeah, totally. And I, I kind of proved that to myself in this latest album, um, where you know some of the songs have got everything in it. Uh, um, as I mentioned before, hip hop beat and, and tangerine dream style arpeggios and um, prog rock ele- or elements of prog rock, not really obvious, but um, mellotron and and samples and 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 the background ambience that I love to have in there. So it's a real melting pot, and I think I got away with it on this latest album, probably more so than I have done in the past. So I'm slowly getting closer to, well, perfection. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm saying that as a joke, but I'm, I'm, I, I am moving towards something that I would finally be happy with. Are you surprised that, that this that the stew that we're talking about can take on so many different elements. Did, did you used to think it was a narrower um, recipe, and now you're sort of surprised that oh, it can actually sustain or absorb so many different external elements? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and again, perhaps in the older days, you know, ten years ago, I I, I was self limiting. I I thought that people like All India Radio for that album or that sound. So I needed to sound like that. And um, that got a bit, that got a bit repetitive. Um, now I'm not as scared to, to chuck lots of different things into the stew. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I'll throw in anything if it sounds good, basically. Do you think there's a through line between your last band, Prey TV, which was, you know, kind of a conventional indie pop band in terms of, you know, there was verse, chorus, verse. Um, All India Radio is massively different than that. But is there is there something in common between the two bands? Prey TV lasted for 10 years or so, and I jumped straight out of that into All India Radio, and it was the most wonderful, refreshing feeling. Um, I was in control of it. I I could do anything I wanted, make any sounds that I wanted. Uh, I didn't have to do chorus, verse, chorus. Um, So it was just complete freedom. Um, At the same time, the the, the same kind of guitar style that I had throughout my earlier bands have almost stayed there for All India Radio. Um, And a lot of the early Prey TV stuff, I was doing ambient style guitar but it's, it's right back in the mix um so there is some continuity but yeah all indie radio is a world away from prey tv and i and i'm thinking if i wasn't in prey tv an indie a standard indie rock band would i would i be doing what i do in all indie radio it, it's almost like all indie radio was a reaction against 10 years of playing an indie rock band. So I'm just wondering, but um, it's hypothetical, really. Is it also something to do with the idea that a band is a democracy? Um, You know, sometimes a very functional one, sometimes not a very functional one, but, um, you know, with All India Radio, it's the democracy is really more you, right? You're kind of the guy who runs the game. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I got on in Prey TV, I got on pretty well with everyone. Um, I, I did the lion's share of, of the work, though, uh, or me and Aidan, the singer, did most of it. Uh, it just got to be a grind in the end. So, yeah, going from a band down to one person really was a revelation. Um, but also technological advances. This is in the late 90s. I was actually able to do everything myself, technically speaking. Um, so I could, I could record write and record at home um, in the late 80s into the early 2000s. And that's something I'd never been been able to do um, in, a, in a band. I mean, you just it just couldn't be done. So it was going from one world, stepping into another, and, and you know, the doors were just thrown wide open. In Prey TV, was that your, was your brother in the band? He was in the early stage, my brother Joseph. Yeah, and um, he also played in the band version of All India Radio as well. Okay. 
So for him, it was going from this really fast indie rock down to this very slow drumming style, which yet yeah, had actually um, a bit of trouble with. <laughs> <laughs> um, well. Do you find that when you work alone, um, you know, away from the democracy of a band, uh, do you find that when it's just you, that suddenly, you know, 15 hours go by and you're like, oh, I haven't talked to anybody in a long time. Maybe I should, maybe I should socialize. Yeah. Yeah. That is very true. Um, cause I just, I work at home. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, 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 I get that a fair bit. Um, with all India Red Air though, I, I have worked with, um, or the bass player, Mark, who came on board very early. Um, and he, He's contributed bass to not every single album, but I'd say most of them. Um, so I'm glad to have, have kept that relationship going, um, and we're going to be get, we're getting the old band together again next year, which will be fun. So I've had Mark has been a a, a constant um, fellow traveller. Um, there've been a few other people who I can bounce ideas off, um, and of course the internet. Instagram, for example, I, I bounce off ideas um, from fans on the internet um, all the time. And actually on the latest album, a lot of my Instagram friends have contributed to the album, um, various parts, drums and, and um, some samples and uh, all sorts of things. So I like to work alone, but uh, like you say, it's... Um, I. I I do appreciate um, contributing, uh, sorry, uh, collaborating as well. And you seem like a good collaborator. I mean, you know, you worked with Steve, you work with, um, mm. like you were saying with the bass player. I mean, you are somebody who seems like uh, you're a very good collaborator. It's a totally different muscle than working alone, but they both have their their rewards. Yeah. If, if I, I, I think it comes down to trust as well with, with Steve Kilby, I, I I know that I'll give him some music. I, I know that he'll come up with something good and I don't need to interfere with that. I just let him do his thing. Um, and the same with Mark on bass. I send him send him the song over the internet and um, I know that he'll do his thing and it'll sound good and it'll sound like all indie radio. So um, I, I just I try to let uh, collaborators just get on uh, with their thing. Uh, it, it's distrust. By the way, Steve Kilby, I always think he's a very underrated bass player. He he's very very good as a player, isn't he? He is, and uh, that's one thing um, I've thought about recently. Actually, on all our albums we've done together, he hasn't played any bass, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I should get him to play bass because I, I think he wants to. But um, it's just been easier for me to write and record all the music and. He just does the, the lyrics and the singing. But um, I think I'd really like to get him to play bass. Um, and he, when I was a teenager, the church was just starting and I used to see them live and I used to love his bass playing. I mean, I love the songs, but um, he could really play the bass really energetically. Um, and, you know, he's a front man and a bass player. So that's kind of unusual in itself. Did you uh, Did you feel during that time period where you were seeing the church and that early, those early days, did you feel a part of a scene, Martin, or did you feel like an outsider? No, I, I felt a part of the scene um, because I was there with my friends. We were all into the the same music. Um, we all grew up uh, liking the same music. Um, and even if the bands that I was seeing were a little bit older than me, um, I still felt a part of that. Um, and I knew I probably had just started an early band with friends back then. So it was, it was kind of my world. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I definitely felt a part of it. Did you identify with bands like the Saints? No, see, I think they came just a little bit before, uh, me. I, 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 I remember seeing them, but that was after Ed Cooper had left. Okay. Um, so this was really just the um, the uh, Chris. Oh, I've forgotten his name. The lead singers. It was really just the lead singer show. Oh, Chris Bailey. Era. Chris Bailey. Yeah. Chris Bailey. Yeah. Of course. 
Um, but um, because they were around quite, I was quite young when they first started. So I missed the first wave of the Saints. Um, so I didn't feel as much an affinity to them. But, you know, I, I used to see them at the same venues where I saw the ba other bands like the church and um, um, various other Aussie bands. I want to get back to something we talked about because it's something I think about. Um, if you write a perfect piece of music or if you make a perfect painting or you write the book you want to write or the poem you want to write, I mean, that's the whole point of it. And, mm. you know, it's like, and let's just say you do it. And every every artist is almost like Sisyphus in the sense that perfect or not, they're going to be rolling that boulder up the hill <laughs> no matter what, they're going to have to do it again. Right. I mean, mm. look at, look at like the Beatles, how many perfect songs are there? They just kept doing it. Um, and yeah. so I wonder if you feel sometimes that it is a game where you're getting closer, like you were saying to apprehending what you want to apprehend, mm. but you'll never really get your hands around it enough. And is that the thing that keeps you going? Because perfection is probably unattainable in art. Yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, that is what keeps me going. Uh, and sometimes I think, have I got more in me? Um, but I, I, I just answer that question myself all the time. I, I, it just keeps falling out of my head. Um, getting back to the project with Steve Kilby, the, the last album we did um, called Glow and Fade, it was a couple of years ago now. Yeah. I've been completely unable to write anything for that project after that, that album, because I felt for me personally, uh, I'm not boasting or anything, but um, well, I am really, I, I thought <laughs> that album was as close to perfection as I'll ever get um, for our project together, but also music I've made in general. And I've, I've been completely unable to, to get my head around writing anything new um, just because I, I've, I've felt that I've, I've done it all. <laughs> right. That, I mean, I, that album, I enjoy so much. I enjoyed making it so much. And I'm so happy with the results that I just don't think I can do it again. So why bother? Um, that's how I feel with, with that. Um, and I've only recently, just in the last few weeks, have started to think, oh, well, let's just put that aside and not think about that and just just try to write again for Steve Kilby. So it's only now two and a half, three years later, I'm starting to think that. But with All Indie Radio, I always, I, I know, even if I'm not feeling it, I, I know that an idea will come out. So I just I just keep going and going. Yeah, when I was in high school, there was a girl that I was just in love with. And I, mm. every day, Martin, I would just tell her jokes. I'd hang around with her. I'd talk with her on the phone at night. And she just didn't, she didn't love me the way I loved her. But then mm. after after like seven or eight months, you're wondering where this is going, but I promise it's going somewhere. After seven <laughs> or eight months, I wore her down and she finally confessed to me that she'd fallen in love with me. And then I didn't know what to do, right? Because yeah. like my, my job was to try to like chase after her. It was the journey, not the destination. I, I yeah, felt utterly yeah. lost. So yeah. you, you had this record that you made with Steve and it feels like it's perfect. It feels like you mm -hmm. can't, right? It's like mm. you did the thing, you got the thing you wanted to That's get, right. Yeah. Yeah. right? So isn't that sort of like a, it's like a bittersweet victory. And yet here you are trying to woo the girl again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks for going with me on that one, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, the, that's a, it's a good analogy really. And, um, you know, because I want to keep recording uh, and, um, particularly with Steve Kilby, because um, it's a good thing that we do and, you know, people like it and people are asking, you know, when's the next album coming? So I want to move forward. Um, but, yeah, that that was – I had found the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Um, metaphorically speaking, there was certainly no real gold, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. It disappeared into obscurity like all albums do. But um, anyway. <laughs> but I mean, but no artist says, I did the thing I wanted to do and then I became an accountant. They go right back oh, in yeah. and, and just keep exactly. going, right? Yeah, that's right. Just jump back on the bike. bike. Yeah. Keep yeah. Going. Jump back in. Um, 
I, I talked to Marty Wilson Piper a couple months ago, and we talked mm. a little bit about about money. He had this sort of terrible thing with pledge music, which I'm sure you know people can look up and check oh, yeah. how, how that disaster was. Um, but we, you know, he's a. I look at that guy. He's he's out there canvassing. I mean, he's doing the work. He's out there touring. Mm. He's out there, you know, making a living in the clubs, and and he's doing it. Um, what about the idea of music as a financial vocation? I mean, is that how do you contextualize what it means to be a musician in 2019 trying to pay the bills with your art? Yeah, well, that's that's the other side of it, really. Um, and it's a concern. And oh, I don't want to say that that's one of the driving reasons behind just continually creating but um it kind of is in a way because i do this full time um my wife bless her soul has um has the real job in the house so she earns the real money and i get to uh record music full time um but i need to pay my way and i need to pay for the albums and vinyl pressing and everything so uh well I write and record and I release albums and I do it as an artist first, but I've got to sell them. Uh, and so, and that's, it's almost like writing and recording, releasing is the easy part, but um, promoting and everything that comes after the release is the hardest part. And uh, I mean, and Marty Wilson Piper, I certainly see him out there doing it. And um, I try to as well. And um Incidentally, I my last album, Space, was on Pledge Music, and I got out just at the right time. Ah. <laughs> I, was, I was so lucky. I got my money. It was delayed, um, but in the end, I got it. So I'm so so grateful to get out at the right time. Was there ever a moment where your spidey senses said this model is not going to sustain itself? Uh, yes, um, because I'd used Pledge three times before that, going back to 2010, 2011, something like that. So I'd used it for three different albums. Each time it was, folks were just a little bit less excited about it um, and it was a little bit harder to, to get people to pledge. And um, trying to get help from the help desk was always a struggle and became so in the last year, just became impossible so I thought mm, that there is definitely something weird going on and when they delayed my money I started to search the internet and see what other people's stories were and people were complaining about delays but uh, they were getting their money but yeah the the writing was definitely on the wall yeah a lot of people really lost out um mm. I, I know Marty was pretty frustrated um he was very he was very philosophical and very cool about it, but I'm sure mm -hmm. that it must have caused a lot of sleepless nights for a lot of musicians. Yeah, because I, I I would feel terrible because I mean it really it it wouldn't be it's not my money it's the it's my fans' money. Um, right. You know, so yeah, I'd feel I would have felt so horrible for that to happen. Yeah, it was it was a real bloodbath and mm -hmm. uh, and a real pity. I'm glad you got out though when when you did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to talk to you about this. I have no way to do a seamless transition here, um, so just go with it. But I want to talk to you yeah. about equipment and and vintage equipment and mm. the stuff that you post on Instagram is it's I, I end up gazing at it for minutes because I'm like, what is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> so well, <laughs> I'm not I'm not an overly techie sort of person. I have had a few vintage synths and guitars or not really guitars mainly synths and effects pedals and things over the years but um I, I tend to acquire things and then use them and then they sit there gathering dust and then i sell them off um and see with vintage gear you you, you can get good prices on the second hand market so um but at the moment i'm really into guitar pedals and there's there's so many more interesting and exciting guitar pedals around than than what what there was you know even ten fifteen years ago, um, so <laughs> it's a terrible addiction to have because they're not cheap. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what is it about vintage pedals that you find so attractive? Like, what is it about them sonically? Well, I I, I recently bought a, an old um, chorus pedal. It, it's a, it was always a cheap and cheap and nasty one made in Taiwan, um, all made out of plastic. But I had it back in the late '80s uh, when I was in Prey TV. And that was when I was trying to get a guitar sound like Bob Mould from Husker Do. Oh, yeah. And so he, he used distortion pedals and a chorus, I think it was a chorus, um, just to get that early Husker Do guitar sound. Um, and actually, uh, Nirvana, um, uh, Nirvana had a similar sound. Uh, Kurt Cobain had a similar sound, distortion and chorus. Um, it's actually kind of a dated sound now, but anyway, I, I kind of like that. So I, I, I bought that pedal again, just purely out of nostalgic reasons, um, but I'm going to incorporate it into the next album I work on, um, just because why not? According to the latest sources, authorities are on your game. I wouldn't know. That's not my name. That they're gonna pick you up Next time you show your face I would know That's not my place
American post-punk like bands like Husker Du and The Replacements, did that stuff speak to you? Oh, yeah. So I went through my musical periods was from teenage years to maybe late teens was Pink Floyd. It was everything. It was Pink Floyd from my I got from my older brothers. But everything else that was around, we ELO and ABBA and all that stuff. Then when I finally grew up a little bit, um, I started getting into um, English New Wave, um, so Joy Division, New Order, uh, and then that springboarded into 4AD label music, so like the Cocteau Twins, um, trying to think what else, um, other bands of that nature. Then I discovered American underground, you know, pre, pre-grunge era, um, so it was REM, it was Husker Du, it was The Replacements, it was um, other bands who I can't think of right now. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you get it. Oh, Moving Targets was another one. Oh, I love that. But, yeah, so that kind of early punk, but it was melodic. It was really melodic, and that's what attracted me. Um, and I just love it. I still love that stuff, but I play it, I, I play it less than what I used to. Um, but that that fed directly into my style of guitar playing, um, even if I'm not, you know, even now it hasn't got layers of distortion on it, but I still play in a, in a similar way. Yeah, that moving targets, but that was a real, the guitars there were really angular yeah. and, um, and, and really kind of, they were a really melodic band. They were a Boston band, I believe. Mm. Um, and I got into those guys. I, it's funny. I always wonder how, a band like Moving Targets made their way out to Australia. Like, how did you discover that band? Um, I don't know, but um, they did have an album released here on a label, a little, just a tiny little label called Mr. Spaceman. He released a double album. Um, so it was two of their albums combined into one album. Um, and that was about 88 or 89. But I, I'm pretty sure I knew them before then from one of their singles. And, and it was just a case of, you know, you'd free, frequent your local record store and you'd check out the the um, the new releases rack and anything that was on SST or oh, yeah. um, Merge or, you know, any of those labels. And I, and I hadn't heard of them. I, I'd be, you know, I'd ask the guy, can I, can I have a listen to this? And that's, that's kind of how you discovered your music in a way. Just, just, right. just browsing. Where in Australia are you originally from? Where were you born? Um, in Melbourne, so down south in the state of Victoria. So, yeah, down south of Australia. And so, now I live, I live in Tasmania, which is the island, or you probably know, the uh, just a little bit further south, so the southern, southernmost state of uh, Australia. You might be running into the Violent Thems' Brian Ritchie because he lives there. Oh, he's all over the place down here, yeah. <laughs> he's part of, part of the furniture, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you... There's a bass player for you. Oh, yeah, that's true. I've forgotten all about that. He's such a busy guy organizing music festivals now. Yes, I sometimes forget that he was in a um, a wonderful and important band from the from the eighties. That's right. When you were growing up, did you have parents that were very supportive of you being interested in music? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, uh, yeah, very much. Uh, they, there was no one particularly music in the family and um, no one listened to anything particularly interesting. Um, Dad would play country music and Glen Campbell and that kind of thing and Mum would play ABBA and ELO because she knew that the kids liked that. Uh, and my older brothers played the weird stuff like Pink Floyd. Uh, so no one played any music instruments. Uh, I just... I just kind of stumbled into it. But um, once I did, um, they were very supportive. And my mother would, people would visit, and my mother would say, oh, come and play guitar for the visitors. And, oh, I was just horrified to do that but because I, I couldn't really play. I was just making it up as I went. So, But she was, yeah, she was supportive, that's for sure. And the guitar was your entry point, right? That was the music, yeah. that was the instrument that you started with. That's right, yep, yep. And I 
I, I just worked, I didn't have any lessons. I just worked out the chords for myself and, and found my own way. Um, uh, and that's still the way it is now, really. Yeah, and and Melbourne had it certainly had a a hotbed of a music scene. There were there was a lot of music coursing through that city. Oh yeah, there there sure was. I used to collect the little the little um the ve- the handbills that the venues would would distribute. They'd put them on. You'd park in the street and you'd, you'd come out at the end of the night, and there'd be this handbill on on your front windscreen. And it would list all the bands for the next couple of months. I used to collect those, and I've still got I've still got them all. And just the amount of bands that came through Melbourne was incredible. You know, uh, a, a, apart from international bands, Melbourne's music scene was was amazing. It sounds like you were also um, taking it all in. I mean, it, you know, you were really had a voracious appetite for uh, like your music literacy, really young. Um, you were just absorbing everything. Oh yeah, I sure was. I really was. And of course, back then we, we'd be going to shows a couple of nights a week. Um, um, that was that was what you would look forward to. You know, who was playing at this venue and who was playing at that venue. And there was always someone, uh, and it was cheap, so you know a teenager could get in. Um, of course, we can we can drink at the age of eighteen here. That's so, right. Uh, but that was an added advantage, <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I absorbed it all. Of course, I stopped. I I don't go to shows much now. Um, not many people come through here in Tasmania, but uh, I try to see. Well, I, I'll travel to the mainland if there's someone who I really want to see. But back then, I was hungry for music, hungry for seeing bands, and hungrily absorbing everything that was going on. Probably the late eighties when bands started to sound really bad. <laughs> well, I stopped absorbing the sounds, but um, no, I, I and I probably mean more commercial bands just had that synthy eighties sound. Of course, at the same time, the whole American underground thing was happening. So Husker Du was happening, REM was happening at the same time as these awful nineteen eighties hair synth bands were happening as well. So it's funny to think that. Yeah, there were so many things going on at once um, mm. that it was kind of unbelievable. I mean, even – but, you know, those are the days where, at least in the States, it was very tribal. Um, mm. You know, we tried to dress like R.E.M., and if you went yeah. to an R.E.M. concert, everyone kind of looked the same. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that was the the time period where you could you could tell what someone's record collection was based on how they dressed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Was it like that there too? In the early days, I, I yeah, I, I guess it was. But in the early days, I um, this is like 81, 82. When I first started going to venues, everyone would dress in black and have pointy shoes, and and it was kind of the goth, the goth thing. Uh, have their hair pasted up. I would wear the black pants and the black. I'd wear black clothes and the pointy shoes, but I wouldn't mess with my hair. I didn't want to look goth or punk or <laughs> but I, I did so we, you know my friends would all would all be there in black and thinking we're pretty damn cool uh but yeah and throughout the 80s into the 90s i didn't really try to no i i, I didn't copy the way the bands were dressed i i tried to deliberately avoid that because i wanted to I don't know. I no. I was going to say I wanted to blend in, but I wouldn't be blending in. I'd be sticking out like a sore thumb. So. <laughs> anyway, I didn't dress up. But going back even further, of course, when Kiss was around in the in the late seventies, we'd be putting on our Kiss makeup and um, doing all that, which was fun. Yeah, they were they were pretty big here too. People were always yeah. doing that for Halloween. That was the big thing. Oh ah, right. Yeah. You know. Um, I'm just a curiosity. I'm just kind of, I know I'm all over the place, but what about a band like the Triffids or Nick Cave? Were you into those guys? Never into Nick Cave. Didn't like him. Thought he was just annoying. Um, so I've never, <laughs> never, never been into the birthday party or Nick Cave. The Triffids I love. Um, and I, in recent years, there was a big tribute um, concert. Um, so it was all the band and it was a tribute to um, David 
um, at McCoon, who who died a few years ago, and that was wonderful. And I remember seeing them when they were semi big. Um, though you know they were kind of still underground, but had a few minor breakthrough hits, and they were they were consistent and they were atmospheric. Um, <laughs> they really were. And with that pedal steel guitar that Graham Lee um, does is just uh, – you soar into heaven when you hear that kind of music. For you as an artist, what is the biggest challenge for you in the, in the creative process when you, you know, when you sit down to do it? What for you ha- is, it presents the most difficulty? And I, I, I ask that question because a lot of people who listen to the show are – musicians or aspiring musicians and it really helps to hear that you know people who mm. do this you know for a living it, it's not always easy yeah um getting started is the hardest thing and i find that increasingly in the last mm, seven to seven years or so oh no that's in the last five years maybe it's increasingly hard for me to get started um uh, I just, you know, there's everything else is trying to draw my attention away and especially the internet. Um, I think I should be posting something or preparing something to post or talking to fans or answering emails. Um, so, and that's why over the last year with recording um, the album Eternal, to get started, I've actually been... I've actually videoed the whole process. So to get started writing a song, I'll, I'll video that and video the demo and, and video me doing overdubs and just messing around in the studio. And then I'll post that. So, and, and it kind of kills two birds with one stone. And it's, you know, might be interesting for people to see the process. So um, instead of fighting the internet, I've kind of, um I've kind of what's the saying? Um don't fight it, join it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So getting started is the hardest thing for me because it's always something else trying to draw me away. So um that's just one little method I have. And it also gives you something to post on social media. Uh, just because social media is just so consuming. Um and I would probably say most of my sales come directly from social media, the internet, and interacting with people and talking about my releases and advertising my releases on social media. So I kind of have to feed that beast. And if I can write and record at the same time as feeding that beast, then it it serves me. <laughs> Does it get into your head, though? Because it's sort of like... Um... You know, all these bands that you and I are talking about, they would vanish for a period of time. You know, uh, with Husker Du, they would vanish for not very long, but these mm. bands would go to their corners of the world and they'd come back with an album magically. And now you can track the progress because you have so much access that we yeah. didn't have before. And, but I wonder, does that get into your head or are you able to compartmentalize it and keep it separate? Um, Definitely gets in my head, but I'm 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 okay with it. Really, um, I've adapted to that. Uh, I, I've yeah, uh, I, I can I can do it. I can manage it. Um, I used to disappear to write and record an album, uh, but I I don't really want to do that anymore. I just I want to I, I I want to share the process. Um, I, I I think I've adapted this new way of doing things better than some um some of my uh old bandmates it's just you have to sort of you got to do it i, I think uh, i don't know i'm kind of rambling i don't know Every, everyone's gonna do it a different way i guess sure but it's um but it's also at the same time it's really nice to have access to your fans where you can um, it's, I guess this is the new version of tribalism because, you know, mm. th- that doesn't exist anymore in terms of a sartorial way that we used to know it. Um, 
because everybody kind of it's a mishmash now, but maybe social media is that way of, you know, corralling your your tribe and getting them all together. Yeah, and that's true. And see, I don't have a I don't have a record label doing that for me um, anymore. Right. Or, um, I, I am really now direct direct to fan. I, I write and record and sell directly to fans. Um, I have had a few little record deals in the last few years, but in the end, it's, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's much, much better for me to cut out all the middlemen and go directly to fans. And I guess, I guess that's why I'm comfortable with social media and for being an open book and letting people in to see the process. Um, because I, well, I kind of have to is in a business sense. And what about you creatively? Have you always been good at that you can kind of do in your sleep? What what has always come easy to you? I think uh, mixing. I enjoy mixing the most. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll throw the bare bones of the song down, um, and. Uh, and then I'll I'll think about it for a little while, not too long, and I'll finish finish recording. But it's mixing that I enjoy the most, you know. I and I have this ritual where I finish recording, I'll clean the studio and clean off my desk so everything's clean. It's like I'm cleaning off the blackboard to 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 start again, and then I'll mix, and then I get into my headspace, and then I. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, um, yeah, I, I slip into another zone, into a twilight zone, and then that's what I can do with my eyes closed, really. It's what I feel most comfortable doing and, and love doing. And has it always been like that? Um, pretty much it has um, because I that's what I learned at um, college. Uh, I learned mixing uh, and, and all other aspects of recording as well, but... Um, once I learned how to, you know, how to do the faders and play with the knobs and all that kind of stuff and what goes where and why, um, I've just always enjoyed it feeling I've got control over this sound and I can make it go anywhere I want. When I first started doing radio, I was 15 and after I got properly trained, you know, it took about a year or so. I never could listen to the radio the same way. When I heard a DJ, I could hear mm. all of the things they were doing, both right and wrong. And I wonder, when you got that education, did it change the way you listened to music? I don't know. I, I think, no, I don't think it did. I, <clears throat> I think I appreciated the, the, the technicalities of music a bit more, um, but it certainly didn't affect the way I listened. Um, so, so not really. What about going back and listening to some of those albums, those Pink Floyd albums? Were you at least listening to those and going, oh, I know what they did there? Could, could you, in other words, was your understanding of it enhanced where certain things were brought out in a way that you might not have recognized before? Yeah, I, I, I have done that. Um, but I, 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 don't let it, I don't let it ruin the experience of enjoying the music. Um, right. And... Um, I mean, with Pink Floyd in particular, I'm, I'm very familiar with. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I do that, but I don't let it, I don't let it um, colour the experience. In terms of how, like your daily practice, are you pretty good about doing something every day with music, or do you do you sometimes like take days where you don't do anything? Um, and when you do do that, are you still thinking about it anyway? Yeah, I, I'm very. Uh, I, I have a ritual. I, I do do. <laughs> I do try to do something musical every day, even if that's get down an idea, um, do some mixing. Uh, so, my my rule is I've got to do something related to my music and and the business side of things. I've got to move forward every day. I'll give myself the weekends off. But, but you're right. I'm still thinking about it. It's still there. And quite <laughs> often, when, when I don't, 
when my rule is I don't have to do anything today, like on a weekend, I'm still thinking about it. I will quite often run to the studio with an idea and um, and get it down. So, uh, yeah, I, I have to do it every day. Um, and in a way, because my wife works full time and earns the real money, I feel as though I have to as well. So it's kind of a, a, minor, a minor but major driving force as well. Seems, seems to be doing something. I totally understand that. And I think, you know, it, it, there's such a long lead time uh, with art, you know, and I think that sometimes people who are your friends who are civilians, who don't, who are not artists, I mm. think that they think that you just sort of like produce stuff magically and they don't realize the toil that yeah. that goes into it. And I, and I, so I don't know, but because I know that it's a lot of toil. It is. The, and it's, it's money, it's toil, hard work, um, long hours sometimes. Um, and it's all for a little piece of art that, um, that you hopefully love and hopefully a lot of other people love and will probably never make much money back. Uh, so right. you, you, you're lucky if you, if you recover costs, I think you're doing well. Um, and if you happen to get on a big playlist and you earn a little bit more money, then that's, that's great too. But yeah, there's, it's kind of a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. Like you and I would have been terrible accountants because we would have been thinking about our art, right? Like I want to get out yeah. of this office so I can go make music or I can go write. Um, you know, we didn't do yes. it. If I can speak for you, I mean, we didn't do it for the money, right? We did it because no. we had to do it. Yeah. And I, I, I am, I have to be an accountant for the business side of things and I am terrible. I have to say that. <laughs> I, I'll spend more than, than what I earn regularly <laughs> and then take, take out a, a loan to pay it off. That's just the way it is in music, but I'm driven to keep going and I try to be as responsible as I can with money. But, you know, sometimes you have to spend to make money or so the saying goes, but um, I think for the majority of indie musicians, it's, um, it's uh, spending and not making money. You have clearly demonstrated that you have an incredible amount of discipline because you do, you know, you do get it done. The work gets done. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but um, <laughs> I, it just, uh, I, I do. I have discipline. I get it done. And even when I worked 10 years ago, I left my full-time job. Uh, looking back then, I was still almost as prolific then as I would call myself now. I think um, an album a year or a couple of albums a year is, is pretty good going. Uh, so somehow I managed it back then. I, I used to work really late nights back, back when I had a, a day job. Um, now I, I don't, don't as much, but I just... I just don't think it's worth um, sitting on music and trying to perfect it. I think I, I just get it down, get it on tape, um, do the best I can with it and get it out there and, and move on to the next one. Uh, I just, you know, some people I know are incredible songwriters and they just sit on their music for years and in the end it just doesn't get released because they, I don't know, they just, they move on and they get sick of it or, or whatever, but um, I, I can't do that. I've just got to throw the paint onto the canvas, move it around a bit um, and put it aside to let it dry and start another one. By the way, is your brother still playing music? Is he still out there uh, in bands and doing stuff? No, no, he's busy with the family, but we are getting together early next year to, um, to do a few shows, hopefully. So um, he will be, playing music again and hopefully he will be practicing for it <laughs> but um yeah so but generally no he's he's out of it will those be uh pray tv gigs or no no all india radio all india radio we did do a pray tv reunion and did a did an album two or oh, in a couple of years ago in 2000, 2000 uh, 2015 right um, and that was really good we recorded a brand new album and it was probably the best thing we'd ever done, but 
you know, it sort of disappeared without a trace, but that's, you know, again, that's the way it goes. Um, but it was just a really fun experience to do and did a live show and that was it. We've gone our separate ways again. Well, I think that the idea that you were sort of narrowing in on something with All India Radio, mm. just in terms of aesthetically, that vision becoming more refined, um, I can relate to that too with my own work. And it's mm. exciting because it's sort of like, it's not as though you are going to apprehend something. You just get closer and closer yeah, exactly. to understanding yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's cool. And I'm at peace with that. I, I know that, you, like we, we talked about earlier, you, you can't, you're not going to get that pot of gold at the, at the end of the rainbow. Or you just, it's the journey and you can get as close as you can. And, uh, but just, what the hell, just enjoy the journey. Uh, you're a good man, Martin Kennedy. I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you having me on. I'm happy to, I'm, I am surprised you uh, knew about Cray TV, but uh, I'm <laughs> impressed and surprised and horrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I got to say, I have a lot of weird, uh, arcane knowledge that, that I can finally use in talk conversations like this. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, enjoy your day, pal, and, and thank, thank you. you. Okay. Thanks, Alex. Well, that was a very lovely chat with the uh, very lovely Martin Kennedy. Uh, I like talking to him. Very cool guy. Um, All India Radio, that's a band you should check out. If you haven't delved into their discography, including the new album Eternal, get on it now. Go to allindiaradioband.com and get yourself acquainted. Uh, They will be playing a live show, the first one in, what did I say, 11 years, 9 years, 16 years? It's been some years. And uh, they are playing live in February in Australia. Go check it out. As for me, well... Go to my website, alexgreenonline.com. Lots of stuff happening in 2020, including my new book. And uh, I have some live appearances that we're working on. Uh, right now, nothing to report. But uh, keep checking the site because every now and then I show up somewhere and I do something. <laughs> Is that vague? Is that vague enough? I'll be showing up in this town doing something. <laughs> Who knows what it'll be? Uh, I'm not really sure. But uh, I'll do something. That's, uh, that's guaranteed. Uh, check out the website. Uh, and if you feel compelled, drop me a line. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com or follow me on Twitter at EmbersEditor or follow me on Instagram at EmbersPodcast. Now, I should tell you that Stereo Embers, the podcast, can now be found on every podcast platform you can think of. Stitcher, Google Play, Last.fm, Spotify, Apple Music, and now iHeartRadio. So wherever you get your podcast, get us there. Leave us a review, you know, a nice comment or two, a couple of stars. I'm thinking five if you've got them to spare, and we will be very grateful for that. Okay? All right, that's all the business I have. Let's get back to the music. We'll close the show off with another new song from the All India Radio album Eternal. This is Movie Star. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Exit humanity.
our breakfast. I'm going to eat it. 